We are uh, continuing. We've been in a, if you haven't been here, studying through the book of Ephesians over the last several weeks. Our uh, kind of subtitle on that is Walking in the Way of Love, which is actually a verse from Ephesians. Uh, really talks a lot about living the Christian life. And uh, just quick review, the, the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, really focus a lot on uh, who we are in Christ, on the blessing and benefit that comes to us as followers of Jesus. We talked about being before doing. And if we seek to do, to, to get active and do stuff for God without first being, sometimes uh, that can cause burnout in our lives. Sometimes it can cause us to become a little begrudging in that, to do that out of obligation. But if we really focus on allowing the Spirit of God to touch our hearts and we, we learn to be first before we do, I think it's, it's a benefit to everyone. And so uh, Paul kind of follows that line of thinking in this book. And he begins the letter with a lot about what it means to be recipients of grace and for the grace of God to be working in our lives. And then in the beginning of chapter 4, which is where we were last week, there is a pretty radical shift in the, in the tone of the book. And he begins to talk more about the application of everything that he's been talking about previously. And I made this statement last week, and I'm going to say it again today, because I think it's, it's a, something that we all need to, to keep in mind, and that is that there are expectations on the recipients of grace. There are expectations placed upon the recipients of grace. Yes, grace is God's unmerited favor. It, it, it is a freely given gift of God that we can do nothing to earn. Uh, and, and yet, once, once we've received that grace, uh, there's a change that takes place in our lives. There's a transformation that happens in us. Uh, we become new people. We're a new creation in Christ. And with that comes a new lifestyle. And we are encouraged here in this part of the letter to, uh, to begin to walk in that new lifestyle. So we're going to continue with that kind of thinking and today and, and look at the second part of chapter 4. Our title this morning is No More Stinking Thinking. You like that? It's my little emoji-laden, uh, that's, that's stinking thinking, right? I'm so clever. I'm just so clever. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> Lord, uh, I, we love your word. It's so good. It's so rich. There's so much. Uh, I, I pray that, uh, Lord, I know we'll never plummet the depths. I know we'll never get all you have for us. But today I ask that you would just give us a little bit more. Just deepen our understanding, enrich our understanding of uh, what you have for us and how we can respond to that through your word. Amen. All right, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, and then going through to about uh, verse 24, I think. Paul says, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. 
you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Last week, if you remember verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul made the statement, I urge you. And I told you then that that's a fairly strong recommendation. It's coming from a place of authority as an apostle, an authority in their lives. He's saying, hey, this is really something I want you to do. Well, he kind of doubles down here in in, in this verse. He sort of ups his apostolic ante and moves on from I I urge you to, hey, I'm telling you this, and I insist on it. I insist that you don't live the way you used to live any longer. And the contrast here, uh, just parenthetically, with the Gentiles is not uh, an ethnic or a racial kind of contrast at all. The, the Gentiles here are representing unbelievers, people whose minds have not yet been renewed, who have not experienced the grace of God and who haven't taken on this, the transformation in Christ. And so he's, he's differentiating between those that uh, have not had that experience and those that have. And one of the things that separates those two groups is their thinking. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. They're futile in their thinking. It's not that they aren't smart. It's not that they're not intelligent people, that they're not capable of thinking correctly. What he's saying here is that their thought process, the direction of their thinking, is, is purposeless. It's in vain. They're, they're not in their minds, they're not thinking or functioning in the way that God has created them to function. He continues in verse 18 and says that they are darkened in their understanding. So that's their thinking again, their thoughts. And they've separated the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. So there's a process that happens in the life of a person. We harden our hearts, and, and that to me is one of the most descriptive phrases because it really is, if you think about it, what happens when... And, and, and many of you have probably experienced this either in one direction or the other, uh, where if our hearts are hardened, it's sort of there's a case around them, and we shut off things like empathy. We shut off compassion. We shut off understanding. Uh, we shut off our ability to really uh, care about others and be kind and, and uh, just even think about people outside of ourselves. And we become self-centered, and we become uh, sometimes... Uh, difficult to be around. We might become grumpy. We might, there's a lot of things that happen. Conversely, when you soften your heart, and you've had this experience maybe, you, you begin to become more aware. And we become more compassionate. And we become, uh, our, the eyes of our hearts, as Paul said, are enlightened. We begin to see people differently. And maybe we used to, and I'm going to, I'll just be honest. There was a time in my life when I would see people on the street corner with their sign or whatever, you know, and they need help. And I would, my thought was immediately, well, if you'd go get a job, you wouldn't have to stand there in a corner with your sign. I'd harden my heart. Today, when I see people like that, the immediate thought in my mind is, what happened? What, What happened in that person's life to lead them where that's where they are today. And it's a radically different 
process that takes place. And, and it, that's where it begins is here. But then Paul says it goes from there into our thinking. And it, it really does our hearts control our thinking. And we really can, uh, we, we either think with a hardened heart or we think with, uh, with a softened heart. And then here's the, here's, the, here's the end game. The outward manifestation of sin in our lives always begins internally. The outward manifestation of sin in our lives always begins internally. It starts in our heart and our mind, and then it's worked out in our lifestyle and in our actions. I want to say this, behind all sin is deception. Behind all sin is a lie. It all starts with a lie. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, the serpent told Eve, you won't die. From that day to this, there's always been a lie and a deception that begins and ends with a, with a sinful lifestyle where we're marked by impurity, greed, and lust. Verse 20, he says, that's not the way you learn, though. You heard about Christ Jesus and the truth, or you heard about taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Uh, J- Jesus is the Word of God, right? He's the Word. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the form of God. He's the representation of God. And the truth is in him. We said before that Jesus is the clearest, most perfect, exact representation of God that we have. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus, and, and, and you'll see what God is like. If you want to know how to live your life, look at Jesus, and you learn how to live your life. Do you want to know the truth? Look at Jesus because the truth is in Him. The truth is in Him. And when we look to Him, those lies begin to dissipate in our lives and our hearts begin to change. He continues in verse 22. It's small. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I love it that we we sang so much about holiness today. That's the new self. God's holy, and we can be holy in Him when we put on the new self. Two, Two things I will tell you about the old self. Okay? Number one, it's dead. The old self is gone. Bye bye Hasta la vista, baby. No mas. The old self is gone, dead, over, not here anymore. Two, you have to put it off. That just is so frustrating to me. <laughs> ah, why? That doesn't make sense. If the old person, if, my, if the old Glenn is gone, if it's dead, if it was buried in baptism with Christ, then why on earth do I still need to put it off? Anybody ever wonder that? I'm the only one. Answer, answer is this. Here's the answer. We are kingdom people. We are kingdom people, and we live and walk and breathe in the tension of the now and not yet, every minute of every hour of every day. Yes, we are a new creation in Christ, but sometimes we kind of like that old person. We just want to hold on to him just a little bit. So comfortable and so familiar. I kind of like that old person, and I'm just going to, just hang on to them a little bit longer. 
Okay, this is a terrible illustration. I shouldn't probably do this, but I'm going to do it. Some of you might. Any, does any, anybody see the original 1960 Alfred Hitchcock movie, Psycho? Okay. So in Psycho, Norman Bates runs the Bates Motel. And he's being controlled by his evil, crazy, demented mother. And they have conversations. And she tells him to do bad things. Do bad things, Norman. Do bad things. He goes, okay, mother, I'll do bad things. And he, he does bad things. At the end of the movie, you find out that she's dead. She's been dead for 10 years, but she's still calling the shots. What? Oh, spoiler alert on a 50-year-old movie? My bad. <laughs> you just ruined my whole spiel. Here's the thing. It's like that. It's like that. That old man is dead, but sometimes he still tries to call the shots. You ever have that old man whispered in your ear, do bad things, Glenn, do bad things. Okay, I'll do bad things. It's, it, you, you have to somehow, okay. You have to move on. I told you that was a bad thing to do, but. Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The, um, the verb tense on the word renewing there is present progressive, which means this, it's important that Renewing of our mind is happening right now. It's going on, but it doesn't stop. It's not a one and done. We don't, like, renew our mind and then our mind is renewed. No. We have to continually be renewing our mind all the time because our minds are active. We live in a real world. We're thinking all the time, and there's input coming in all the time. And there's negative input. There's bad input coming in all the time. So the renewing of our mind is an ongoing process that we continue to do throughout the course of our lives. So look, here's the deal. Just like Norman Bates, the, there, those old thought patterns are going to come up sometimes. I, I just want you to be, just know that, okay? You're not alone. You're not, sometimes I think we go, I'm the worst person in the world. How come I keep thinking about these things? You know, that's just reality. We all are there. Those things are going to come up. But, but as we said a couple weeks ago about suffering, what I'd say here is don't let those things define you. All right? When those things come up, we, we go back to that place of renewing our mind again, and we put off that old man and put on the new self. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. This is... This is an important text. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, think of a stronghold for a minute. We demolish, what are strongholds? Their arguments, their thoughts, and pretension. A pretension is a pretense, it's an idea. Their thoughts and ideas that set itself up against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God. and take. So instead, we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. This is spiritual warfare. All right, don't get your feelings hurt. But if you, uh, you're driving home from work 
And you notice you're almost out of gas, but you're tired. So you just go home. And the next morning you get up and you start driving to work, but it's raining and you're on the freeway and you run out of gas. That's not spiritual warfare. Okay? I hear people tell, oh, the devil is an attack of the enemy. I go, no, you forgot to put gas in the car. That's not an attack of the enemy. That's called cause and effect. Amen. Thank you. I'm just saying, look, here's the deal. Spiritual warfare takes place in the three pounds of yakisoba noodles between your ears. That's where spiritual warfare takes place. That's not the only arena. There are other arenas, and we're not going to go into all those today, but I'm going to say this. I believe the primary battleground is in the realm of the mind, and that the vast majority of spiritual warfare is won or lost in our thinking. If we, if we can renew our minds and win this battle, I believe the other battles fall like dominoes. It all starts right there. Well, it starts right here, and then it goes there pretty quick. I know, and, and uh, look, here's, I'm just going to, you know, I'm already, I'm just out today anyway. Spiritual warfare guys going all Jackie Chan on the heavenlies. I don't even know what that's about. I, I don't even know what that is. So, when you see them, <laughs> here's the things. <laughs> it's only funny to some of you because you've been there. Um, a stronghold, Paul talks about demolishing strongholds. Here's a stronghold is a house built of thoughts. It really is. It's a house built of thoughts. When those thoughts begin to pile on top of each other and we get to this place where that's where we're locked into. So instead, he says, we take every thought captive to Jesus. We submit our thought processes to the Holy Spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit access to our thinking. Uh, we renew our minds. Uh, some of you, how are we doing on time? You know, if... Last year, our friend Robbie Kendall spent some time with us. And some of you, he's tough to follow. I'll be honest, he's kind of all over the map when he speaks. But what he has to say is really submit your thinking and your mind to your spirit. Allow your spirit to take control over your thinking. It's this whole idea of renewing our thoughts and allowing our thought process is to be taken captive to Christ. And when we begin to do that, I'm telling you, it's a radical transformation that takes place. Because those strongholds of thoughts can really lock us into a place that's dark and that we don't want to be. And when we can overcome that, it's, it's so precious and so beautiful. Romans 6, what do we say then? Shall we go on sinning? This is the old man, new man. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means! Exclamation point. We are those who have died to sin. We've died to sin. Old man's dead. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Don't let the old person who's dead in the rocking chair call the shots anymore. The Norman's mom was in a rocking chair in the closet, okay? Um, don't let that person call the shots anymore. Spoiler alert. I know, gosh, these guys are going to... Verse 11 of that same passage in Romans 6 says this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, the renewing of your mind is a process, okay? 
it, it's a process that's ongoing all the time. It, it's, 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 it doesn't, it's not one and done. It doesn't stop. Um, I, I believe mind renewal is one of the most important disciplines that we can undertake in our spiritual journey. And uh, I'm going to just close. I want to give you two or three ideas quickly in terms of renewing your mind and how that works. And, and one of them, I, uh, this is, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this part of this before, and I don't know if I've ever heard anybody share this before, but I, 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 I just kind of, it just sort of light bulb came on this week for me. But worship is a huge component in the process of renewing your mind. It's a huge component of the process of renewing your mind. Here's why. Because worship is, it's uniquely powerful because it's scripture in musical form. The songs we sing are, some are direct word-for-word translations of scripture, you know, of scripture. Some are not, some are paraphrased. But they all, and, and again, there's a process regardless of where those songs came from. Somebody somewhere is looking them over and seeing, are, are they accurate? Are these theologically accurate? Every once in a while, we'll do a new song, and Tucker will call me, hey, look at this song and see, do you think this is okay? But, but even in doing that, we're saying, is it okay with us? But someone somewhere, I know in Vineyard, I can only you know, I can speak for Vineyard music, every song that's submitted to Vineyard is looked at theologically, lyrically. Does, is this scripturally accurate? So my point is this, all the songs that we sing are Scripture in musical form. And music has the ability to penetrate our subconscious in a way that nothing else can. Right? Isn't that true? You guys know that. You know how you know that? Because I read a book. Six months later, somebody says, hey, you read this book? I go, yeah, I did. What do you think about it? Oh, it's really good. What, what else? Uh, I don't know. I liked it. I can't remember anything else. Uh, and then I'm driving down the road, and a song comes on the radio from 1977, and I know every word. Okay, so I'm just saying that music has the ability to penetrate our subconscious and our minds and our hearts in a way that I think is unparalleled by anything else. I really do. And so worship, I believe, is just a, a huge part of the process of renewing our minds. So if you're struggling, if there's strongholds of thoughts in your mind, I would say this, turn on some worship music. We also want to commit to really regularly studying and reading Meditating on Scripture. I want to. Hey, I forgot to say thank you, by the way, because uh, last week, Pastor Appreciation, you, that was we were so blessed. Donna and I were so blessed. We're, it was a uh, not a great week for us. Her dad's sick, and she had to leave right after church Sunday and go to Grants Pass to help take care of him. But before she left, we sat down and kind of opened those gifts from you guys, and it was it was so. We just felt so loved. It really came at a great time. And in the package, there was a number of Scripture cards. And so they're sitting on our dining room table right now, and every day we flip them and read them. And so it's just a, it's a, it's a cool deal. And, and, and that's part of the, 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 the thought renewal process, too. Life can be overwhelming, and you start getting in those sucky thoughts. And so then you just 
you go, oh, yeah, but by the way, I remember that uh, I, I had, it's, it's, last week I was praying for a friend, and I said, hey, the Lord gave me this verse for you, what, you know, and it's just uh, Philippians, you know, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And they wrote back and go, oh, yeah, I needed to hear that right now. So just, that's part of the process. It's just Scripture. And then the third thing I would say in terms of uh, mind renewal, taking every thought captive to Jesus really is, to begin to evaluate our own thought processes, okay? Think about what you think about, okay? Um, Paul actually, believe it or not, this is great. He gives us a punch list. He says, here's what you should think about. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. And, and you might stop sometimes and say, hey, what I'm thinking about right now, does it fit that criteria? Are, are my thoughts noble? Are they right? Are they pure? Are they admirable? Are they praiseworthy? And you might go, oh, they're not. So maybe then you could just ask the Lord to help you transform those thought processes, invite the Holy Spirit in to your thinking and begin to change how you think. I want to say this, and just last thing. In Ephesians, we talked about impurity, lust, and greed, and sometimes our thoughts can be filled with those kind of things. But those aren't the only things that are negative that can control us. Things like fear. I think some, there's people that live in fear all the time. And you know that you can, you can be set free from that. You can, you can come out from under that fear by a process of allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to renew your mind and renew your heart and transform you. Same is true of anger. I have, a, I have a friend who was angry for 50 years and was able to go through a healing process of God just restoring their thinking and change that and freedom from it. Worthlessness. I know some people that are just stuck in this place of thinking, I'm not worth anything. You'll never, Somebody somewhere told them you'll never amount to anything, and that just got locked in their thinking. But we can take that old person off. We can take those things off and put on the new self and begin to walk in and believe in who Jesus says we are in him. And he, he says the exact opposite. He says, no, you're not worthless. You are of inestimable value to me. There's no way I can even possibly say how much you're worth. All right, let's stand. 